morning's scripture reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 5 to 8. And you can find this on page 690 if you're using one of the Bibles we've provided. That's Matthew, chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This is God's word. All right, amen. Prayer has a remarkable track record. And in addition to that, just hearing people who may not otherwise come up to me and say, here's how it has a track record in my life. Here is what God is doing in my life. It's just been a tremendous blessing for me as a pastor and um, as a fellow brother in Christ. So we've started this series focusing on how you can personally connect with the divine. So we're going to go on, and for most of October, we're going to focus on praying with and for others. And then in November, we're going to get into praying obstacles and opportunities. Obstacles we usually see and have in prayer, how they can actually be opportunities for growth in prayer. But before we move on from personal prayer, we need to put a plan on paper. To make a plan for a typical day in prayer, and then to work that plan. And that's what we're going to do this morning. I want to give you some of the practicals of prayer. So this morning is going to feel a little bit more like uh, uh, sort of giving you some tips and this sort of thing than perhaps like a typical sermon. But that's really what Jesus is doing here is giving practicals in prayer here in Matthew. He is about to give them through the Lord's Prayer a pattern as to how to pray. Remember we went over this a number of weeks ago. Praying for the glorious and the everyday laborious. Before he does that, he's basically saying, hey, let me offer you just a couple tips, a couple wise suggestions on how to actually pray and make it work in real time, in a real place where you live. So this morning I'm going to offer three things that each person should strap on each day to help you both connect with God and last for more than 10 minutes in connecting with him. Number one, we're going to go after practical prayer prep. We're also going to go after a practical prayer arsenal. And finally, we're going to look at practical prayer triggers. So that's where we're going this morning. Start with practical prayer prep. Now, I think we can agree we all want prayer to work, right? We just want it to work for to actually do it, have the attention to do it, and then watch it yield results, yield fruit. But I think we treat prayer as if it's exempt from the deliberate way we approach the rest of our lives. In short, we believe prayer requires less deliberate attention. Let me explain what I mean by this by way of our calendars and by way of our jobs. First, by way of calendars, Paul Miller is a neat older bloke who uh, leads prayer seminars in the U.S. and internationally. Real down-to-earth guy, 
just looking to commune with God and help others commune with him. And during the point, one point in each of his seminars, he asked for a show of hands of how many persons keep their calendars electronically. In fact, why don't we do that now? Who here keeps their calendars electronically? Raise your hand. Nothing to be ashamed of. Okay, if you keep your hands raised. Now also raise your hand if you keep your calendar in a book or on a wall calendar or some other way of writing it down. Keep your hands raised, okay? That's about right. He says it's usually about 95% of persons who raise their hands. And uh, it's only awkward when the other 5%, among the other 5%, are uh, men who basically say they use their wives as calendars. In that, he also asked the question, how many of you are similarly organized in your prayer? Use a similarly organized system or schedule for prayer. Well, guess what happens? You know, it's like 5%, right? And so he asked why. Why only 5% with God? And someone usually answers, well, right, if I forget an appointment with someone else, I don't have to pay for it. Yeah, of course, what's the implication there? If you forget an appointment with God... You don't have to pay for it, right? No one notices, except for God. But his favorite response he often gets is, well, our calendar involves people, so that's why we write it down. Again, as if prayer doesn't involve people. If your prayer doesn't involve people, we got problems. Here's a little snippet, for instance, of my, let me give you a little snippet of my Outlook calendar from this past week. Like you, I keep my calendar electronically. And you'll see, uh, you know, two basic things, items in my calendar, a time and a place. So I have, you know, meeting for elder prayer in our office. I have a meeting uh, for lunch with Wes at John Gray High School, meeting with Al to fix the audio, Georgetown Primary Outreach, Georgetown Primary School, and then so on and so forth, right? That's sort of my day. Yet, while we insist on organizing and planning for any other part of our life, We don't do so for communion with God. Jesus says in verse 6, when you pray. So Jesus clearly advocates here not for a theoretical, but for an actual time. Unlike in verses 5 and 7 where the you is plural, look at that with me. So in verse 5, he talks about when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Verse 7, he starts talking about, and when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases. We'll get to that in a moment. But in verse 6, He was talking to all the disciples. He was saying you all in those verses. But in verse 6, the you is singular. As if he's pointing at one person and saying, but when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father. Now, why does he do that? It's clear. The Father wants that time alone with you. The Father is waiting for you in secret. He wants time with just you and him. So I want to encourage you first this morning, choose a time and guard it jealously. Choose a time and guard it. And you might object and say, well, I don't want to be legalistic about the time. Let me clarify something for us here. I I do this often. Let me define what legalism is. Legalism is not rigorously obeying God. It's not being disciplined about something like prayer. It's believing rigorously Obeying God earns you more favor with God. It's believing that God will love you more if you do this better or do this more consistently. Because anything that you add to faith in Christ 
for salvation is legalism. Only thing required is trust in Christ for God to love you eternally or to accept you. And so spending more time with the Father won't help him love you more, but it'll help you experience his love more. Guarding that time isn't going to help you be more accepted by God, but will help you in trusting that acceptance more. Does that make sense? So how do we guard that time jealously? How do we protect it? Get to bed early for it. All right? Whether you have it at night or in the morning, get to bed early for it. Get awake for it. Right? Grab a pot of coffee, not just so that you can stay awake at work, but for him. Go for a jog so you have the adrenaline not to get through your day, but to be alert for him. Do those things for him. Do what you need to do to get awake, but do it. Be with the Father. All right? So also, so we have get to bed early for it, get awake for it, get realistic for it. If you have kids, you've got to get up before them. Be realistic. Uh, and by the way, there's only so much prayer that can happen in your car. So much, pri- so much private, intentional, focused prayer, like uh, talking on your phone, texting, or jamming out to the hits of the 80s in your car. All those things are fragmented when you're driving. Not that you shouldn't pray in the car. Please do. But think of it like bonus time with the Father. All right, you wouldn't tell your spouse, uh, look, I really want to spend some one-on-one quality time with you. Can we do it driving on the way <laughs> somewhere? If you're going to say that, it better be a limo. <laughs> right? <laughs> then Jesus says in verse 6, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So Jesus also wants us to even choose a specific place. The emphasis being on total privacy. The word translated room here in verse 6 is temeon, which refers to the storeroom in a house, which was a small room in the middle of the house, which had no light, no windows, and was usually only visited around supper time, right, to prepare for a meal. So in other words, you could lock yourself in there and have total seclusion. Total privacy. Now, this is instructive for some of us uh, who can't handle a beach chair for regular time in prayer. Some of us are under the illusion that the ideal place for regular private prayer is being out in God's creation. And I love God's creation. And man, do we have it here in spades, right? The beauty. I mean, those desktop screensavers, You know what I'm talking about? Like, we have those. Like, there, often 10 to 100 steps away from where we live. Except for some of us, it's 100 long steps. All right, I know. While I love getting out to those spots for like a special morning of prayer to mix things up, man, I have ADPD, right? Attention Deficit Prayer Disorder. I cannot handle doing that every day. You know, because you're out there, you're in public, People are walking around, that person shouldn't be wearing that. What's up with, what, whoa. Right? Or, you know, those beads of sweat, like, drip on your Bible. And you're like, ah. Is that a hermit crab or a shell? <laughs> yeah. that's, I mean, that, that's me when I pray. I, I, I can't handle that every day. I'm going to actually talk alone with my father. One of the best, in fact, the best place for me that I ever found for regular private prayer 
was the lowest basement of my university library. I was at one of these uh, cubicle desks, right? You just, just, you know, you sit, it's straightforward. I'm looking at a cylinder wall with wood in front of me. And the only distraction is like what someone has etched in those desks. I won't mention what those things are. All right, but uh, it's like the only distraction. And, and, and there's nothing around me to distract. There are only medieval literature and forensic science books. And you might think, well, that's, that's such a cold place to, to spend time with God and not when you're with your father, who's tender and warm and no pictures, no little things that I could be doing otherwise, no distractions. So I want to encourage you, find some nook in and around your house where you can both stay awake and are not distracted. I want to encourage you, the plainer the better for most of us. I know that's not true for all, for most of us, the plainer the better. So you can stay away from checking email, from writing a text to your friends, from old photos that you find, from rearranging your sock drawer. You know, some of you know that, right? You want to get off, you're like, I'll clean some dishes. Anything to distract us from talking to God. So, friends, what I'm trying to say here is prayer takes preparation. Choose a time and place. Guard both jealously so that you can open God's word and let it guide you. So that you can pray the glorious and laborious like we've talked about. So that we can, like we talked about last week, pray for wisdom. You've got to have those practical parts too. Now, I want to stop here for a minute. What I just recommend, and what I'm going to continue to recommend this morning, uh, will start out feeling awkward. All right, it's going to start maybe even feeling artificial, and you may even feel self-conscious doing it. And this, herein lies one of the biggest frustrations when it comes to prayer, and that is we wish for prayer to immediately seem natural. We believe that if it doesn't happen naturally, it's not authentic. Man, it's not real. Yet, few things in our lives uh, start out natural, right? But they can still be very authentic. Take, for instance, your job, right? I mean, this past week I asked a lawyer, an accountant, and a teacher from our church what steps they had to take to get to the point where they felt natural and comfortable with their job. All right, and so the teacher said mentorship, having professional and personal goals, ongoing professional development, and experience. Experience being the most irreplaceable. The accountant said a formal education by way of university degree and the chartered accountant qualification, reading financial and accounting articles and on-the-job experience. Finally, the lawyer. Seven years studying law, an additional year uh, studying for the bar exam and articling. And then three to five years specializing in one area before they really felt comfortable advising people in that area. Each of these persons had to take very, del- and they all spoke about how hard it was at first, had to take deliberate, sometimes awkward steps before they progressed to the point where they felt comfortable answering people, doing what they did with a certain level of proficiency. Uh, in his book, uh, Outliers, Malcolm uh, Gladwell, in his seminal book, asserts that what he calls the 10,000-hour rule, if you've heard of this book, and he suggests that it takes roughly 10,000 hours to attain relative mastery of any skill. But prayer should be immediately natural. 
or else I'm just going to give up. One of the best examples of what we're seeking through prayer and the awkward steps it takes to get there is playing an instrument. How many of you here play an instrument? Raise your hand. If you play an instrument, even imperfectly, it's okay. Very nice. I'm not trying to recruit for the praise team. It's okay. All right? But then you know, you know the joy of playing without having to consciously think of every little movement of your fingers or, or every little place your mouth's supposed to be if you're a flautist, right? It's liberating when you don't have to think of those things at every moment. Our worship leader, Lisa Wellman, shared with me how playing the guitar has become more natural for her because her dad started taking her to lessons at age five. Right? And so, no doubt, five-year-old arms uncomfortably held a guitar, right? Unless it was a ukulele. Right? And, and five-year-old hands uncomfortably inserted fingers on the chords awkwardly to reach them. But by teenage years, playing became more of an unconscious joy. And prayer, guys, can become a natural, almost unconscious joy if we're willing to take those deliberate, sometimes awkward steps to get there. So how can we take those steps? I mentioned a couple things. Next thing, I'm encouraging you to develop a practical prayer arsenal. Because prayer continues throughout our days, right? Not just in the closet. At some point, each of us has to come out of the closet. Well, the prayer closet. The prayer closet, that is. (laughs) Not that kind of church. Okay, uh, we all have to come out of the prayer closet into life. That prayer closet where we have this intimate time with the Father and go into our 90-mile-per-hour lives right? We enter into it. And where Scripture still encourages us to pray without ceasing, without stopping. 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Jesus criticizes people of religious traditions here in verse 7 who heap up empty phrases throughout their day, thinking that God will be pleased, that they can change his mind, that he will be happy with what they're doing and answer all their prayers. But the Father simply cares to talk to his kids. So we need to develop an arsenal of personal phrases. Not empty phrases, but personal phrases that can practically help us continue to commune with him throughout our 90-mile-per-hour day. How do we do that? How do you do that when, when Bob from Receivables is, you know, uh, exaggerates obnoxiously about his weekend carousing aboard the Jolly Roger? Like how do you pray without ceasing? When that's happening, I encourage you to develop an arsenal of arrow prayers. What I mean by that are are just quick prayers up to heaven, up to the Father. If if you've never experienced praying just regularly throughout your day, let me tell you, it is a delight. And I'm not saying this for getting points with God or to be a super spiritual person or or earn extra credit. It's just a delight. There's nothing like it. So if you want to go down that road, I want to encourage you first not to get bogged down figuring out how to pray for Aunt Susie or worrying about, man, have I covered all the the needs in my community group? Have I covered all those bases? Don't start there. In a 90-mile-per-hour day, start with short, simple phrases of communion between you and your father 
who already knows what you need before you ask him. It says in verse 7. Let me give you some examples of how you might do this. First from Scripture. Some practical examples here. You might just pray the prayer of the tax collector in Luke 18 who said, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Just admitting I'm weak. I need help. Have mercy on me. Maybe it's a prayer of acknowledgement. You are my ever-present help. Someone told me this last week of praying the, the words of Isaiah in Isaiah 6 to help this person see where there might be a need. And so they just prayed, Lord, here I am, send me. They just prayed that over and over. Lord, here I am, send me. Maybe it's the words of Samuel who said, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Right? Some other examples or it might be the I am's from John's gospel. Right? And you have to address them to God so you wouldn't say, I am the way. Right? So you'd say, you are the way. You are the truth. Maybe you just say, you are the life. Maybe you just remember, you are the bread of life. Or you are the resurrection and the life. You are the light of the world. You are the gate. Maybe just one of those phrases. Could be one word. Jesus, Abba, Emmanuel, Rock, Master. And these actually, these one-word ideas can also help in just moments of need. These, they can help in action. Like, sometimes when I'm overwhelmed by something, I just, but there's people all around, I just internally say, help, help. You know, one-word prayer, help. Or when I know something specific is needed, but I'm still overwhelmed, I often say, provide. Just one word. Or, I'm talking with someone and their heart's hardened maybe. I have to work, Lord. Or maybe I've just talked to someone. They've gone away and I'll pray, pursue. I mean, because God is a pursuer. He pursues people's hearts and minds. He's the initiator. We see that in all of Scripture. Just pursue. These are just suggestions. But if you don't want to go from Scripture directly with some of these, here's how you can construct your own little arrow prayers. Uh, and this is actually Richard Foster, who I respect tremendously in areas of uh, spiritual disciplines. This is what he kind of recommends. And I'm just going to mention what he says. He says, first, find some inter- uninterrupted time. Find a quiet place to communion with God. Then after a few moments, just allow the Father to call you by name. All right, and just try this. I'm not saying this is how you have to do this, and I'm not trying to manipulate God, but just Lisa. Christine, Gordon, John, whatever your name is, allow them to call you by name and allow this question to surface. What do you need? What is most needed in your life? Peace, faith, maybe strength. Maybe it's to, to trust in your love. Maybe it's to choose wisely. And connect this phrase with the most comfortable way you have to speak to God. That might be you call God blessed Savior or my rock and my redeemer or Abba or gracious Lord. So write those things down and and then try it out. And after a number of days of trying it out, tweak it if you need to. I'll just share with you the arrow pray I pray the most during my 90 mile per hour day. It's Abba, I love you and I belong to you. I just pray, Abba, I love you and I belong to you. 
And for me, I, I, I pray, Abba, I love you because I am not naturally loving. I desperately need to be reminded of the Father's love expressed through Christ in my life. I need that. And it helps for me to just express that love back to him, to say, Father, I love you for you. That just helps me. And second part, I belong to you, is because I have many things, many people, many forces pulling at me. Maybe you do as well during a given day. And so for me, it's important to recall not so much who I am, but whose I am. I don't, I don't intrinsically belong to that person or to this thing. I belong to you. I want to do your will. So I just, it's reminding me, I belong to you, Father. That's mine. Again, this may feel deliberate, awkward at first, but that's how all good habits start, friends. By the way, I want to make a quick book plug this moment. I want, because I want, you can add, sometimes, I'm going back to the private place of prayer here briefly, but sometimes to launch your arrow prayers to get you primed during the day, you need to learn more about how to pray. And, it, and it's good that you're, this is a good start being here this morning and coming and listening more about prayer on Sunday mornings and what God's Word has to say about that. But let me also recommend a resource we have in, in back there. It's called With Christ in the School of Prayer by uh, Andrew Murray. Look, look, that's not so thick. It's nice, huh? All right, almost leaflet. I mean, wow, I can't even hardly feel this thing. All right, so... Very, very light. Uh, Andrew Murray, 31 lessons that read like devotionals. 31, so it's a month. Read like devotionals and uh, teach you in Christ's school of prayer. And here's the best part. You ready for it? It's ancient. I mean, it's old by our standards. And why that's so great, Andrew Murray was a missionary to South Africa, actually back in the late 19th century. And if there's one area in the Christian life where it's better to learn from the old, and believe me, there are many, it's got to be prayer, right? I mean, these men and women didn't get in the car and hop on their cellies, right, to talk on their phone. They, they, they traveled by foot, and they hopped on their brain, like, oh, yeah, it's great to walk again. It's a good chance for me to think, right, and to pray, and, and that's what they did. And like they would walk for hour, you know, an hour to get places or go by horse. Like that was their quick way of getting places. And these are deep men and women. I want to learn about prayer from them. So I just want to encourage you. That's in the back if, if you're interested. Um, last thing, I want to encourage you to utilize practical prayer triggers. If you think that your life is going to yield a natural flow of prayer like like one of those feng shui waterfalls that recycles water over and over in those offices, that is probably not going to happen. All right, you're in for a big disappointment if that's how you're going to start your goal in prayer. It's going to be a rude awakening. I want to encourage you, start out using objects, people, and activities to trigger prayer throughout your day. If you want to continue in prayer during the 90-mile-per-hour day, use objects, people, and activities to trigger prayer. The most common trigger we have is a meal, right? A number of us, a lot of us pray for our meal, at least for dinner. Lunch, maybe. Breakfast, we're just scarfing down the grape nuts, right? And that's pretty much the deal. But if, you know, you don't get extra credit 
for praying before a meal, or, nor is it mandatory. Uh, you know, if you fail to pray for your lunch, God isn't going to transform that bean salad into satanic indigestion, right? It's not like, oh, you missed it. Better get some Pepto-Bismol. But what do meals provide? An excuse to pray. A trigger to pray. Something that will just launch prayer. When I was at college and then working on my master's degree after college, there was, I found someone, two different people, uh, on campus whom I didn't know that I would use to trigger two prayers of thanksgiving. Whenever I saw them, I didn't know them very well. Whenever I saw them, I would just be sure to give thanks to God for two things. Because sometimes my heart gets hard, and it gets spoiled, and it gets complaining. Was that person unusual looking? All right, perhaps. All right, but that's why I picked them, to trigger prayer. I, don't, I wasn't trying to be judgmental, but they, they just stood out. <laughs> it sounds bad. But, you know, you'd see them on campus, and you'd be like, okay, I'm going to pray. And I would give thanksgiving for them, too. So it wasn't, I loved that person. Uh, I even eventually talked to them. But maybe it's a person you don't see all the time. Could be the UPS guy at your office or the person who replaces the water at the water cooler. Use those things, little triggers. You know what? I'm going to give a thanksgiving to God every time I see that person. Or I'm going to pray for my friend who doesn't know Christ every time I see this person. That's a great way to start praying throughout the day. We are human beings, all right? Use those kinds of methods. Uh, Perhaps it's an activity. This past week, we had the great pleasure of welcoming Jessica Hughes uh, on island, um, who uh, has been helping us consult and train for nursery and children's ministry, children's church. During the nursery ministry training on Thursday night, which was fantastic, she talked about the importance of prayer in all occasions with these kids and opportunities we have to pray for these little ones. So she mentioned changing a child's diaper is a great trigger to pray for them, to pray for that child. Right? Just, just what else are you going to do? Plus, you, you turn an ugly smell into a fragrant offering. <laughs> Literally, like, hmm, right? And up to the Lord. Use these kinds of things in our lives. What's an otherwise mundane activity you can transform into a trigger to pray for a lost coworker to intercede for your spouse, or just to express love to your father? What's something in your life that you can use? Perhaps as a school teacher, you could use the ringing of a bell, school bell, right? Or accountants, you could use the sound that Windows makes when it opens, right? Doon, 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 right? You know that sound? All right, so one well-known, I love you guys, One well-known, renowned prayer warrior named Frank Laubach used to call this his game with minutes, in which the object of this game, he said, was to see how many minutes during his day that he could turn into holy communion with God. Find things as little triggers for holy communion with the Father. In every other arena of life, friends, it's those awkward, deliberate first steps that we look back on and really remember fondly. In our children, if you have kids, we record it, right? Those first steps, think about it. We record them, we Facebook them, we tweet them till we drive our single friends nauseous, right? They're like, oh, great, another sonogram. I mean, now my Facebook feed, you know? <laughs> the business you started where you didn't have much and you scraped and clawed by just to make it. Those were some 
you look back on those moments kind of fondly, don't you? Like, man, those were the days, and you built relationships with people that lasted. Even the first years of marriage in which you had no clue what you were doing, but at long last you got to do it together. For many of you, for those of you who actually choose to do this, to take some of these suggestions and do it, this will constitute the, the very first awkward and deliberate steps to unceasing communion with God. And it won't feel immediately natural. Perhaps feel inauthentic. But I guarantee you, you'll look back at these moments as the sweetest times in your walk with Christ. Because the moment of discovering there is a God who cares about all parts and minutes and times in my life, there's going to come a time when you do that, where that, there's going to come a day, a week, a month, when those first steps turn into joy, joy, pure, unadulterated joy as you walk with him, and it starts to become supernaturally natural. That can happen. Be willing to take those first awkward steps. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you already know our needs before we ask them. grateful for that. Father, I I, I trust that leading us in your word this morning, that for many of us, the need is simple, taking those first steps in prayer. Father, remove from us the lie, the deception that prayer has to feel natural all the time, that it has to flow. Remove that from us, Father. I think that's a lie sometimes from the enemy. Instead, Father, help us take those first steps might be awkward, using little, little phrases just to communion with you throughout the day, little arrow prayers, using little triggers for prayer throughout the day. Father, we are weak, we are made from the dust, as Psalm 103 says, so you know that. So just encourage us this week. My prayer is simple, Lord. Help us actually choose to do this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.